0: Well, again, it's good to see all of you here. Uh, We are continuing in our sermon series called Portrait, and I think most of you have been around for good chunks of this, but just as a refresher, we've been looking at different aspects of what people may think following Christ or the church or Christianity is about, and then we've been trying to kind of clarify that, sort of reframe that. Uh, We've talked about all kinds of subjects. Today's subject is difficult for us, but it's something that I think is really close to the heart of the gospel. And that is a distortion around suffering, the subject of suffering. Uh, what we're going to get into today is this misconception about suffering that I have picked up on, others in uh, the Seattle area have picked up on, where there was some teaching that if you are a Christ follower, somehow you will you know, be like Neo in the Matrix and you will sort of dodge the bullets of suffering. Like it will not affect you somehow. That following Jesus Christ is like a, a flu vaccine. It inoculates you from suffering. I, there, there have been teachings around this. I didn't necessarily grow up with that. I probably grew up with sort of the extreme other end of the spectrum. We're like, oh, stuff's going to happen to you. Like, watch out. But there's a distortion in that around suffering. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is the reality that God has never and will never promise to opt us out of suffering. You can search the whole Bible and you are not going to find a passage that tells you somehow suffering will miss you, that you get a pass at this. What we will see as we look into the text is that God promises us himself. He promises his presence. His presence, his companionship, is what he gives us in the midst of our suffering. Now, many of you know, uh, and, and you've all kind of walked in various forms of this journey, that in my own family, suffering has been a real theme for us lately. We lost my dad to cancer uh, earlier this summer. So that has been just a real-time thing for me. Uh, we're going to go into that more and just kind of how this experience, which is very much one of suffering, like what's right shouldn't isn't happening Right? Like, my dad, I wished he could have lived longer. He passed at 63. Like, that's not right at a level. Suffering is what happens to us when we look at something that we think that should be right, that should still be okay, and it's not okay. Like, how do we reckon with that? I want to, we'll go into that in a little bit, uh, kind of in some greater detail. But at the top, I want to just share that one of the most comforting things to me in this whole process of grief that I will offer to us today is this very simple promise of Jesus. It's, I will be with you. I will be with you. Will you say that with me? I will be with you. We are going to talk about that. That's our thesis for today. And then there's three points that are outlined in your bulletin. Suffering is real. Hope is here. And God with us. Suffering is real. Hope is here. God with us. Just to give you a heads up, at the end of our teaching time today, we're going to uh, watch a brief video. We've had several of these videos throughout our sermon series. This one's tough. This one really uh, got me and really moved me to tears this week. It's the story of a family that attends one of our Bethany locations uh, who lost a child. And if that is something that uh, is, if you're going like, man, I don't know that I can watch that, uh, please feel free as we get to that time. I'll give you a long heads up. You can just go get a cup of coffee. Like, it is totally fine. I do want to encourage us to hear it, though, because the way that this particular woman, her name is Nikki, tells her story and shares the hope that she has in Christ is really powerful. So it's hard. It's coming. But I want to encourage you guys uh, to try to, to hear it out if you can. So the first part of our outline, suffering is real. That seems really obvious, right? like if you've lived any length of time if you're not 21 years old and in college you've probably have adopted this idea like suffering is going to happen to me now the psalmist is familiar with this as well so turn with me to psalm 22 which Josh just read for us this is one of those psalms that talks a lot about messiah and we're going to get into that in just a minute but where we're going to stay with it right now is this is the cry of the heart of a man named David king David and here's what he writes This is verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. Now, obviously, Jesus restated that first phrase as he was on the cross. He made those words his own words. But he was naming this as an experience that he felt that he was able to uh, come to grips with in his moment of suffering there on the cross. And King David, who wrote these words, this is the human author of these words, we believe God is the author of all scripture, but he spoke it into David's life. David wasn't just philosophizing about the idea of suffering. This is not him kind of saying, you know, well, if suffering really happens, then it's probably like this. He's got a long history with suffering. Just a couple of kind of highlights from David's life. He knew how to suffer professionally. He was a shepherd. And if you've ever been around livestock, you're going to suffer. Like, they're just terrible. They're they're disobedient. They run around. They stink. So he knew about suffering at that level. He knew about suffering politically. He was a king. And so he had to navigate all these kind of social mores. And like, how do we get stuff done in the kingdom? He knew suffering emotionally emotionally. As he uh, walked through this terrible journey where he uh, faced temptation, he pursued a woman in an adulterous relationship, he then consummated that adulterous relationship and then had her husband killed. So these are all things that you don't just do and then go to sleep at night. These are things that I would imagine tormented his soul. He was also a soldier. He served in his country's army and so he understood bloodshed and violence all things that bring suffering into his life and into our lives, all things which are the result of the fall. That horrible dark day during the creation narrative when the two people, Adam and Eve, looked at God and said, actually, we'd rather do it our way. Now, anytime we experience suffering, it is not always comforting to think of it this way, but it is the truth. This is a result of the fall. This is a result of sin entering in the world and and breaking everything. My dad getting cancer is a result of the fall because cancer was not in God's original design for creation. Your suffering, the job that you hate, the marriage that you thought you could rescue, the things that have broken your heart and broken your life and hurt other people, we have a role to play in a lot of these things, but make no mistake, they are the result of something that happened long before any of us arrived on the scene That was just like this earthquake across the cosmos, and we continue to deal with the effects of that earthquake to this day. And I mention this because you hear this in the text, and I think this applies to our own lives. David knew that even in the midst of suffering, God loved him deeply, and that he could be safe in God's embrace. Many of us would agree to that, but here's a particularly pernicious challenge for people living on the east side. When we experience suffering, this has just been my observation pastorally, and this has been true in my own life, because we are linear, problem-solving types, many of us, we look at suffering and we go, this must be my fault. I must have done something wrong. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to who are successful, who have great jobs, who have great careers, and when suffering comes, they go, gosh, where did I mess up? And I'm going, okay, yeah, maybe you messed up, sure, but don't assume that. That's a byproduct of a high value of responsibility, which I also have, firstborn child, anybody else? Let's start a support group. Logical causality is poor comfort in suffering. Do you hear me, church? Logical causality, saying I must have screwed this up, is not comforting when you are in the midst of suffering. Whatever isn't going well for you right now, whether it's your employment, whether it's someone in your family who has gone wayward, whatever version of pain, would you take a minute this week and just say, God, I've probably been putting this on my back. I've probably been telling myself, this isn't right and I should do something about it. And yes, there's a level of personal responsibility that's important, but I think it's healthier for us as a church to say, God, I'm experiencing this. You know this. You see this 360 like I could never see it. I'm probably putting some of this on my back. Would you help me own my part? Would you help me step into this in a healthy way? Would you help me look to you in the midst of my suffering and go, wow, this is a result of the fall, and I just need God to come and be my healer and be my redeemer. I want to just warn us, church, that there are so many guilty things. There are so many places of shame and despair and pain in our day because we take on so much responsibility. And suffering sometimes is our fault. It's definitely a part of the fall, but it's not always our fault. Let's have a real, clear conversation with God about that in the week ahead. So that's part one. Suffering is real. Now let's talk about hope. We'll go back to the thesis for just a minute. I will be with you. That is a promise. That is a statement of hope. If suffering is real, then our pathway through that can't just be go on and fix suffering. Our pathway through that is to hold to the one who carries us through it. Let's look at the rest of the psalm, the passage that Josh read for us. This is verses 3 through 5 of Psalm 22. He's just said, Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? Yet, verse 3, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried, and they were saved. In you they trusted, and they were not put to shame. The through line in all of those statements is relationship. This is the hope that we talked about last week, where we talked about Jesus is not a bunch of ideas. He's not this bundle of axioms. He is a person. He is real. We can be conversant with Jesus. We should be. He should be walking with us through all the seasons of life because he's not just some nice thought. He's a real person. And you hear this all throughout the psalmist's words. You hear David saying things like, You are holy. In you, our ancestors trusted. To you, they cried. You don't cry out to someone who can't help you. If I'm trying to fix my sink in my kitchen, which I may have been doing recently, and I cry out and I say, hey, seven-year-old son, come in here and help me, he's not going to be able to offer a lot. Like, he'll be sweet if he's in a good mood. He might be able to bring me a cookie. He can't help me with my plumbing. Like, that's beyond the scope of his expertise, right? We don't cry out to people who can't help us. When you have cried out in despair, when you have been in that dark place, whether it has been through your own suffering or the suffering of someone you love and you just feel it in solidarity, have you cried out to the right source? Have you cried out in such a way where you go, this is beyond me. I I am at my end. I have no resource. I have no solution here. Have you cried out, church, to the one who actually can help you fix the sink? Through the grieving process, it's been pretty remarkable how when I share with people, yeah, uh, this summer it was kind of tough. This was really hard at the beginning of the school year, right? Because everyone comes up to you at school is like, how was your summer? And you're like, well, I don't know that I want to tell you about that. <laughs> or maybe I do. The grieving process has been really incredible because no matter how many people I talk to about losing my dad, I find over and over again that there are more people than I imagine who have been through something similar. Yeah, I lost my mom. Yeah, I lost my wife. Yeah, I lost a child. Now, what I've started to call this, and I don't mean this to be pithy, but this is just how I've made sense of it, I've started to call this the club nobody wants to join because nobody wants to sign up for membership in the club of I got divorced. I lost my dad. I had a child pass away. Nobody wants to be in that club. But when you have joined it, not through your own effort, results of the fall, remember, you are surrounded by people who go, yeah, I get it. Like, I don't get it exactly like you're experiencing of it, but I get it. I lost a friend. I lost someone I loved, and I don't like that. So you find yourself in this incredible companionship, which is to our larger point, I will be with you. This is how God has spoken that into my life, and I want to just encourage you, church, if you are in a season like that, or if you've just been through a season, or you know someone who is, do you have eyes to see and ears to hear the people who are with you in whatever club you are in, and are saying, I'm with you, I'm for you, I've got your back. Uh, a person uh, in this church who's very familiar with grief, someone that used to be a hospital chaplain, gave me a book right at the beginning uh, after I got back from my dad's memorial service, and it's called "Lament for a Son." It's by a guy named Nicholas Volterstorff. Volterstorff is a theologian at Yale, uh, very well-respected scholar, really great servant of the church, and uh, as the title would suggest, uh, he uh, lost a son. Uh, This was in the 1980s. His son, Eric, had moved to Germany, was working abroad, and was a mountain climber. And so he was climbing a beautiful mountain in Germany. Something happened, they don't know what. He had an accident, and he fell and he died. And so Volterstorff got the call. He went over to Germany to claim his son's body, to bring him back to the States, to have this memorial service. Unbelievable process for him. And so he takes his brilliant theological mind and he applies it to his own journey through grief and suffering. And this book has kind of been like a really good meal for me where I just go through it really slowly. I've kind of carried it around in my backpack over the last few months just to kind of read a little chunk here and then kind of process it. And what I've found is what Volterstorff puts into words are things that I've felt but I don't have words for. Have you read a book like that? Have you had some kind of encounter like that? I want to share a word uh, from this book that has been immensely comforting to me As we think about this, where is our hope? Our hope is in our relationship with Christ. This is how Wolterstorff puts it. He writes, God is not only the God of the sufferers, those who have experienced suffering, but the God who suffers. The pain and fallenness of humanity have entered into his heart. Through the prism of my tears, I have seen a suffering God. He goes on and says, This is the great mystery to redeem our brokenness and lovelessness. The God who suffers with us did not strike some mighty blow of power, but he sent his beloved son to suffer like us, and through his suffering to redeem us from suffering and evil. Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. Here's someone who is devastated by grief, whose adult son seemingly in the prime of his life is now gone, and instead of asking God for explanation, which I'm sure he did at different times, he realizes what God has promised, what God is delivering to me right now in my suffering is I will be with you. Will you say that with me? I will be with you. It's not the why. It's not the how. It's the who. And I will tell you, I know medically why my dad died. He got cancer. It was very fast acting. He had a low baseline of health when he went into the hospital. He could not recover from it. Knowing why is helpful. And there are so many people who don't know why someone they love died, and that's really, really painful. But I will tell you that knowing why my dad died is like having a really thin blanket when it's cold outside. It's, it's small comfort. It, it doesn't quite get me there. What is of comfort to me, more than medically knowing why, is the God who says to me, I will be with you. The God who says to me, I get your pain. The God who says to me, you're not alone. The God who says to every one of us, no matter what mountain you face, no matter what turmoil is in your life, doesn't matter what storm you are going through, I could explain stuff to you, and that'll comfort you for a little bit, but instead, I will be with you. I will be with you. And the way he does this, this is part three, where God is with us. The way he does this is what we're about to celebrate as we move toward Christmas, this Advent season. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is what Christmas is actually about. The God who enters in. The God who chose to be born in a stable, to become one of us, to be helpless. John 1 puts it this way, God put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He set up shop next door to us. We rejoice over this at the Advent season. And we say, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of the pain of this year, in grieving my dad, and whatever loss, this is what I'm actually choosing to apply to it. I will be with you. God with us. Emmanuel. This claim of the Christian faith is absolutely scandalous. There is no other world religion that says the deity, God, would so denigrate himself or herself as to become like dirty, sinful, broken human beings. No other faith would do that because to do so would be to push up against some of their major precepts. But in Christianity, our God says, I'll go to a stable and I'll be born and I'll be poor and I'll be homeless and I'll be this wandering, itinerant rabbi And I'll touch people's lives. And I'll heal people. And I'll restore sight to the blind. And I will come, and I will not have a small impact on the world. And I will come, and I will be with you. Our God became a person, so he can't be cold and distant. doesn't work like that. Our God became a person because he's not a bundle of ideas, because he's real and we can be in dialogue with him. Our God became a person because he's so powerful that he could and because he's so loving that he chose to be. I will be with you. Bethany, God says to you this morning, I will be with you. And I knew this before dad died, but I know it now in a different way. I know it now at a level down. That gap between my head and my heart got a little bit smaller because of this process. I will be with you. And it's one of the things that I know I can pray for effectively. Pray for and ask God to bring into my life and lives of people I love who are also missing my dad. And I can pray for comfort and for, you know, sunshiny days, and that's great. But what will truly be of comfort to the people in my life who mourn and for you and for everyone you're connected to who is grieving, who is alone, who is wondering, why did this happen? Why did my friend die? Why did this take place? What we can pray for them is not that God would give us the words to explain their suffering, even though we want to, but that we can say to them, I'm praying that God will be with you. I'm praying that for my friend's church in Tacoma and for his family. God, be with them. You, you know how to minister to them. You know how to meet them right where they are. Would you make that promise come alive for them in a new way, God? I will be with you. Church, who do you have in your life that needs that right now? We're coming up on Christmas. This is not the happiest time of year for a lot of people. Are we sensitive? Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear the people around us who are going, yeah, I'm actually not that excited about the first Christmas without my dad. I'm actually not that excited about Thanksgiving this year because there was a divorce in our family and somebody left. I'm actually kind of hurting right now. Do we have eyes to see? Do we have ears to hear? Those people that God has put in our lives for a reason so that we might speak this word of hope to them. I will be with you. Say it with me one more time. I will be with you. Church, this is not Whistling Dixie. This is not some out there idea. This is real life. And there are people in each of our lives who are aching to know the God who says, I will be with you. And he has picked each of us to be able to deliver that in our own voice, in our own way. And it will be good. And so now we're going to turn our attention to that video that I mentioned earlier. Again, this brought tears to my eyes this week. I'm sure it will again as I watch it with you. But I really want us to hear these words of hope. One of the reasons that uh, our team picked this story to share is because Nikki just articulates hope so powerfully. So I invite you to hear this. I, I, again, I give that caution. This may be very hard to watch. Um, but please do take this in if you're able. And then we'll actually spend time after the video uh, reflecting on this and praying through some scriptures together that I believe will be of great comfort to us. So let's watch this video together.
1: In December of 2016, uh, my husband Avery and I found out we were pregnant with our first child. Fast forward in that pregnancy to about 24 weeks, I found out uh, that our baby had a condition called CDH, Congenital Diaphragmatic Hernia, basically he had A hole in his diaphragm that made it so his large organs would go up into his chest and take up the room where his lungs needed to grow. Babies with this condition have about a 50% chance of living, and so from 26 weeks on, we were not sure if our baby was going to survive or not. Realizing that I might not get to keep him and not knowing if he was going to stay or not was just. Baby Donovan came at 6.37 in the morning on September 5th and I got to hold him for about 30 seconds before they needed to cut the cord and take him away and and resuscitate him and help him to breathe I didn't know if I would see him again after that the only thing that that gave me peace in that time was knowing that God already knew what was to come and that he promised to be with us through it all. We had 12 days in the NICU with him and during that time it felt like I was walking every day with God as my companion just like constantly in prayer. After about 10 days They detected a brain bleed, and we had to take him off of this machine that was keeping him alive, and Avery and I sat there watching our son in this room with a ton of doctors, and all we could see was his tiny top of his head. At that point, I was still praying for a miracle, and... We didn't get it. We held our son for the first time and prayed over him and sang to him and read to him and whispered all the things you'd want him to hear into his ear. And we eventually had to say goodbye, knowing that God has this ability to do miracles I couldn't understand why God didn't answer all of those prayers. It was hard to reshape what my faith looked like with this bitterness. Um, I know it's not easy. It's not going to be easy to be grieving a son that we never got to raise. We've had a daughter since then. She's absolutely wonderful. And... I'm reminded that he's still going to keep providing for us. But no matter how many kids I have at home with me, Donovan will always be missing. But without God and without my faith, I don't see the hope in it. And I have to cling to that hope that he gives me.
0: Told you. I will be with you. Psalm 22 is followed. It's followed by Psalm 23, which is one of the great passages of scripture that you've probably heard in memorial service, you've probably heard in other settings. We're going to ask God through prayer to comfort us, to comfort Nikki and her family and all who've walked through these life-altering losses. Because this is the one who walks with us. This is this incredible depiction of the one who says, I will be with you. So I'm going to read through this twice, and you can just listen, you can cry, you can just be present. If you'd like to, I would encourage you to just hold out before God those in your life that you're connected to who are suffering. May this be a time to intercede for them and to pray for them. I would encourage you to hold out your own suffering where you felt that pain. I would encourage you to take the suffering of our world, the things that have really broken your heart, and to hold that out to God. If you would like someone to pray with you, Josh is there at the back by the tree. Our prayer team is available to pray. You don't have to use your words. You can let someone else give you words. But let us listen now for the God who, instead of explaining our suffering, enters into it with us. As he is faithfully entered into Nikki and her family's life, may he enter into each of our lives and our places of suffering this day. I invite you to hear now the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Father, thank you that you give us yourself. And we may want explanations for our suffering. We may want it for our whole life. But in these moments, would you press into us the truth that you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The truth that no matter what pain we have experienced, you too have experienced pain. And so we invite you in to these places of suffering in our lives, in the lives of the people around us. We invite you into the suffering of our world. You're you're in it, but we ask that you would help us to better see you and to better see how you have kept your promise I will be with you. We want to listen for your voice, and we want to be confident in the hope that we have in you. May this time and these words instill that confidence in a deeper way in each of our hearts. And may it be of benefit to those around us who need to hear from you. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.